Katie, uh, thank you for leading us today. I, I just want to, um, I, I guess, tell you something, Katie, that I think you need to be aware of, very careful about, um, and, and that is you're now living, and I know you've lived here before, but you're now living in a very dangerous part of the world. Uh, some of you have travelled into Port Macquarie and you've seen signs for koalas. Uh, that's not the danger, all right? Um, the, the koalas here are pretty safe and we need to uh, not be the danger to them. No, it's a different kind of danger and that is we live in a part of the world that people describe as paradise. Uh, they say you, you've come to heaven on earth and when the days are like today, we can be easily seduced into thinking we've arrived. This, this is where it's at. And what we're going to see as we look at uh, Matthew chapter 10 is that Jesus has an insight into our world that we need to be reminded of, especially those of us who are living in comfort. And by and large, we live in a lot of comfort, especially when we compare uh, what we see on the news in other parts of the world. So let's pray that as we look at this passage, that God will call us and remind us of what He is focused on what really matters to him. Uh, Please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we want to hear you now. Uh, We want to be obedient to you. We want to trust you. And so we we ask for insight from your spirit to hear your word and take it to heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I I think it's uh, a common experience, especially uh, in Australia, probably in America, uh, other parts of the world as well, for a presentation of Christianity to be very much uh, a a picture of come to Christ and your problems will be solved. That is, if you're struggling with ill health, come to Christ and he'll heal you. If you're struggling with um, financial difficulties and poverty, come to Christ and you'll receive blessing. If you Uh, having broken relationships and struggling with other people, come to Christ and those relationships will be mended. And it's a promise that comes from God's word. All these promises do. But I think sometimes we've got the timing mixed up. That is, we think that if we come to Christ, everything will be right now and we forget that Jesus says it won't be. It will be ultimately, but not yet. And we're living in the not yet. Uh, We take hold of the promises of God for an eternity of blessing, but we live in a world of pain and suffering, decay and death. And we need to realise that it's into this world that God came in Jesus. He stepped into a world that was out of shape, where relationships and Uh, the whole environment and the way that people treat each other, um, the nature of governments, uh, ecology, just about every aspect of life is out of whack. And Jesus came to put it back right. And what we see in Matthew chapters 9 and 10, and we're just going to overlap a little bit because we haven't been in Matthew for some time. And we finished uh, last year, I think it was, or early this year, In Matthew chapter 9, what we see uh, is Jesus' compassion for the people around him. You pick it up there in chapter 9, verse 36. Now, 
I'm sorry for printing um, this in eight-point font, but I couldn't get it on unless I made it really small. So if you need to borrow my glasses, just come and get them. Uh, but it's a good idea to bring Bibles from now on, right? So if you've got used to the passage being printed in the page, uh, bring your Bibles, or if you've got it on a device, do that because there's going to be large slabs of the book of Matthew that we'll be looking at as we move on. But notice in chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus, when he sees the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion on the people around him. The, the word in the original literally means Jesus felt it in his guts. There, there is something that is deeply disturbing to Jesus when he looks at the plight of people. And the core thing, it doesn't say that he sees people who are sick. It doesn't say, say that he sees people who are poor. It's not that there are people who are being treated with tyranny by the Roman authorities. It's that they are like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus came to his own people, the Jewish people, and as he sees them, they are leaderless. Well, they've got leaders. I mean, you've got the Roman authorities. You've even got Jewish authorities ruling under the Roman authorities. You've got secular leaders. You've got religious leaders. But what Jesus sees are people who are fundamentally leaderless. And God had warned back in the book of Ezekiel that there would be a time when it would be like this, when people would cry out for a shepherd to lead the sheep. And we know that Jesus comes as that shepherd. And Jesus sees the people around about him and he has compassion on them. And so he calls on his followers to pray. He says there, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jesus sees the people who are in deep need, who are leaderless, who are wandering like straying sheep, he says, pray that God will send out people to gather them in. Now, there's a mixture of metaphors here, but what we see then in chapter 10 is the first mission that Jesus and his followers are involved in. Um, he calls 12 disciples to himself and he gives them the authority to do the things that he has been doing. That is, to drive out impure or unclean spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. We are then told who the 12 apostles are um, you can read them by name, Simon, who is called Peter. Peter is uh, actually the Greek word for rock, so Simon, who's, who's called Rocky. His brother, Andrew, there's uh, two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, we're told about him. He's the tax collector. James was the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. There's an ominous sign already as we see these. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, what do you think of when you think of apostles, um, the 12 apostles? Maybe the Great Ocean Road, but there's only about five left, I think. Um, now, the 12 apostles, of course, these are the close followers of Jesus. Many of them go on after Jesus returns to the Father to 
have great leadership in the church and all of them, except perhaps for John, lose their life very soon afterwards. But the word apostle literally means to be sent. To be an apostle is to be a sent one. And so the key thing here, I think, is not so much the authority that these people have for the early church, but the fact that Jesus is building a mission team that he is going to send out. And he's going to send them with very specific instructions, Um, very specific. You notice as you read on that they're told that they are not to go to any Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with that language, a Gentile is somebody who's not a Jew. So as Jewish people see the world through the lens, there are two types of people. There's them and there's everyone else. Everyone else is a Gentile. The Samaritans are kind of somewhere between a Jew and a Gentile. Uh, They have a family heritage that links them to Israel, and yet the Israelites saw them as being kind of separate and they weren't particularly fond of each other. Jesus says, no, this is a mission, a very specific mission, Notice in verse 6, to go to the lost sheep of Israel. So the mission that they're engaged in, these apostles, is that they're sent to Israel to go from town to town. They are sent with a message, verse 7, the kingdom of heaven has come near and they are sent with instructions to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons and That's a pretty big task. Jesus is, in effect, gathering 12 people and he's saying to them, what I've been doing, you're going to do. I'm going to send you with my authority to do my things, but only in the towns of Israel. And there's instructions about what they are to take with them, i.e. pretty much nothing. As you read on, they're, they're not packing suitcases, they're not gathering up all of their belongings and possessions, they're not packing their wallets with money so that they can go about and have plenty of time and plenty of resources to do all that they need. No, they're to go out without any supplies and they are to look to people in the towns of Israel to supply their needs. Um, If they find a worthy house, and I take it that's one that will supply their needs, then they stay. And they engage with those people and from there perhaps reach out to others in that town. But if they don't find a worthy town or a worthy house uh, and if the villages or the towns reject them, then they are to sweep the dust off their feet and to keep going as a sign of judgment upon them. In verse 15, truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, what do we do with this? Um, Jesus is gathering 12 and he's telling them what to wear, what to take, how to approach people, how long to stay and where exactly to go. The danger, of course, I think, is to see this as a template for our mission today, 2022, in Bonnie Hills. Um, And why is it a danger just to jump from there to there? Well, partly, if you were to read to the end of this book, and I'm going to take you, spoiler alert, okay, we're going to go right to the very last verses uh, of Matthew, chapter 28, 
if we go to the very end of this book, um, here's, here's the big spoiler. Jesus dies, but a cool spoiler is he comes back to life again. And then he ascends to the Father. And before he does that, he gathers the 11 disciples. Now there's 11 because Judas Iscariot is no longer one of them. He gathers them to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of every town in Israel. No. No, now he's saying, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now it's the Samaritans. Now it's the Gentiles. Now it's all people. It's even Australians. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So if we go back and we just look at this account to the 12 and we go, okay, let's follow the instructions and work out a template, then we'd better get on a plane because we're going to have to do it in Israel. But the mission that Jesus has his apostles involved in here is preparation. They go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That's a pattern that you'll see again and again in the New Testament. What's more, there are groups who I think have naively at best and wickedly at worst grabbed these kinds of instructions and said, this is the way that you must do it now. There in Luke's gospel, Jesus sends out the 12 and then a little bit later he sends them out again and then he sends out 72 and he sends the 72 out two by two. Now, there have been some people connected to this church who have previously been involved in a cult that has been known as the two-by-twos, where they've taken some teaching from the Bible and rejected other teaching from the Bible, and they've elevated some things and suppressed other things and come up with a different gospel. So how do we work out what to do with it? Well, I think we see that there is something descriptive here, but as we read on, we also think, Does this apply more widely? And what we'll see is that there are things that Jesus says that are timeless. Not just this is what you are to do, apostles, but this is the way that things will be. In fact, Jesus seems to have even a longer range picture for his apostles than this mission trip itself. He says, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. This is his topic sentence for what it's going to be like for them. I'm sending you out to be like sheep among wolves. Have any of you seen sheep among wolves? No, I haven't either. Um, But I've seen a sheep and it was dead when it started among African hunting dogs. We're at Melbourne Zoo and they said at 11am, I think it was, there's going to be the feeding of the African hunting dogs. You go up on a platform and they toss a sheep in. About nine dogs came, they grabbed a part of the sheep in their mouths and they all ripped from different directions. Within five seconds, the sheep was gone. Jesus is sending out 
his apostles to be like sheep among wolves. It's a tough gig, in other words. It's not going to be easy. Therefore, be shrewd about it. Be innocent as well. Be on your guard. And then I think what he goes on to say probably has in mind what's going to happen to them, not just in this mission, but what we see through the book of Acts. He says that they're going to be handed over to local councils. They're going to be flogged in the synagogues. That tells us that it's going to be political opposition from the secular world and it's going to be religious opposition from the Jewish world. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And that's what happened as you read the book of Acts. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it, because at that time, I will come and rescue you and all will be well. Sorry, I keep mistranslating. At that time, you will be given what to say. Jesus never says, I'm going to take you out of tough circumstances. But what he does say is, I'm going to prepare you to handle them well. I'm going to give you the words to say. At that time, you'll be given the words for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And then he goes on to talk about how tough it's going to be, and it gets close to the bone. Look at verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. It will be opposition from beginning to end. See, what Jesus is saying to his followers at this time is if you're going to be on mission with me, then you need to count the cost. It's going to be tough. People are going to get thrown into prison. People are going to be rejected by their own families. People may lose their lives. But it's worth it, he says. He's, he goes on to say that you are not to fear, verse 28, the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And a number of times, verse 26, don't be afraid of them. Verse 28, don't be afraid. Down in verse 31, don't be afraid. He reminds his followers that God cares for them, that he's watching over them, that they matter to God. In verse 32, he puts it like this. Whoever acknowledges me before others... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Jesus is making himself the centre of things here, isn't he? He's saying, yeah, you might be treated harshly. You might cop all sorts of things and some will be killed. But don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body. No, be afraid of the one who can kill the body and soul. Be afraid of not people, but God himself. But 
don't be afraid of God himself because God is committed to you. And if you acknowledge me before others, then my father will acknowledge you. But beware, if you don't acknowledge me, then I will disown you before my father in heaven, Jesus says. It's, a, it's an all-stakes mission. There's no room here for playing. I take it that um, the early church wasn't full of people who were nominal, social Christians, we might say. Because why would you sign up for something that could take away your livelihood and destroy your life? But if it's real, one, if God is real, two, if Jesus is real, three, if the Spirit is real, if God is real, and if Jesus has come into this world compassionately to give his life to save people, if he's been raised again from the dead so as to gather people to himself, to give them hope and life for all eternity, then to give up everything for him just makes sense. Look at what he says there in, in verse 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me, but whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jim Elliott, a um, famous missionary uh, to the um, Ecuadorian um, First Nations people, lost his life. Um, he and uh, four other people with him had been focusing on a particular tribal group for some time. They'd been researching, they'd been doing investigations, they'd been flying around, they'd been dropping gifts. And when they finally went down to make contact with these people, they all lost their lives. They were all speared to death. Jim Elliott's diary is a very uh, moving account, not of his death, it was written before then, um, but of what he's driven by, what his priorities are, what his focus of his life is. And he writes in that diary these words, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's what Jesus is saying here. You can't lose giving up everything in this life, even your own life, if you acknowledge Jesus because no one will take that from you and you'll keep that for all eternity. I think we need to be reminded that this is what we're talking about here because we can kind of be tempted sometimes to think we're just talking about getting people together in church. Or we're just talking about helping people who might be in need. But we're talking about how people treat God for all eternity and how God will treat them for all eternity. And Jesus is saying, if we focus upon him, if we acknowledge him, if we take up our cross and follow him, if we're willing to give up our life for him, 
if we make him a priority over and against even our own mothers and fathers, brothers, sisters, children, friends, colleagues, workmates, neighbours, if we will put Jesus before all others, then Jesus welcomes us and gives us a welcome with his Father. That's what we're talking about here. Sometimes I think people haven't really read the fine print. Um, it's difficult to read the fine print sometimes, isn't it? Um, you, uh, you get sucked into something and then you get annoyed by the uh, company that sucked you in because they just keep badgering you with things. All of a sudden you're on 25 different um, spam mailing lists and, and call-ups because there, there was a fine print, but who has time to read it? So we just tick the box. Yes, I've read and understood all the fine print that went before, and I never had a look at it. Well, I think sometimes there are people who have become Christians and they haven't read the fine print. They've, they've seen that, that attractive kind of picture of, of wanting to come to God and wanting life to be so much better, but they haven't realised that that's there for us, but in the meantime, there'll be trouble. And so sometimes that leads people to wander or fall away. Yeah, there, there is a fine print. It's not hidden. It's not bait and switch. It's not smuggled in. It, it's very clear. Jesus said it loudly and clearly. And he's saying it here. Whoever wants Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Taking up your cross is not a, a metaphor for having a bad day. It's a picture of being willing to give up your life. That's what it was in that world. That's what it was for Jesus. And if we are following Jesus, then it kind of raises the question, what are we expecting will happen to us? once we see what happens to Jesus. Friends, if you're feeling that being a Christian is difficult, that you're finding it tough, that you're actually copping some flack from people around you, maybe even members of your own household, then Jesus is saying to you, hang in there. Keep looking to me. Keep putting me first because it has eternal significance. And can I say as well, if you are having a difficult time of being Christian and there are people that are close to you that are, are contributing to making your life difficult, then hang in there for their sake. Because if you give a picture of being um, a, a fair-weather Christian, yes, I'll, I'll be a Christian so long as it doesn't upset anybody, then why would anyone take that seriously? We all know how to live so as to be comfortable. No, Jesus wants us to be part of his mission, and we'll see more of this as we go through Matthew. And part of that will be people seeing how seriously we take following Jesus. Those of you who are parents... One of the greatest influences that you can have for good on your children 
is to demonstrate to them how seriously you follow Jesus. They, they may not be following Jesus at this point of time, but if they see you disinterested, take it or leave it, if there's nothing else to do, if it's not really a priority, then the message that you're sending them is that this Christian thing is just a convenience thing. And sadly, sometimes it's the people that are closest to us that will see through the slightest hint of hypocrisy. And if they feel that we're putting on this Christian thing, then why would they consider it for themselves? But if we're risking, potentially risking, our relationship with them, our comforts in life, our well-being and even our lives for the sake of Jesus, then wow, that's got to be pretty serious, doesn't it? Why would they do that? I want to encourage those of you who are parents to, to, to show to your children and maybe your grandchildren that there is a real priority of putting Jesus number one in life. And that witness, I think, will be very powerful that it's more important even than life and death. Uh, let, let me finish with a story. I, I don't often finish with stories. I know ministers do that sort of thing, so I'm going to do it today. Um, I know a lot of people who are in the Australian Defence Force, uh, partly through living for um, the biggest period of my life in Canberra. Met a lot of people there who are in the Army, the Air Force and the Navy, people in the Defence Force Academy, uh, officers in training at Duntroon, people who were in the um, public service, serving in the military and so forth. And when I think back over the previous kind of 20 or 30 years and think about how the ADF recruited people to come and be a part of the armed forces, there were messages that went like this. Do you want a fulfilling life? Do you want adventure? Do you want to be trained? And Do you want us to pay for that training? Do you want to see the world? Do you want to reach your potential? You've seen those ads, right? Um, I don't know if they're still doing those ads. Why is it surprising that people who've seen armed conflict are riddled with PTSD? Why are more people in the ADF taking their own lives post-active service than those who've been killed on the battlefield? I think in part because they were sold a lie. What a tragedy it would be for us to present a weak, beautiful, colourful, creative, magnificent, guilt-free experience of loveliness as the Christian life, only to have people turn their back on it once the first sign of pain or suffering comes. Jesus didn't do that. I'm sending you out, he said, like sheep among wolves. But he said, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Loving Father, um, we thank you that you know every hair on our heads or some of us more than others. Um, you know everything about us, you know what we go through, what we think about, 
you know what hurts. Um, you know our struggles and temptations. You know our weaknesses. And Father, you know that we, um, in so many ways, are pretty disappointing. But we pray that you'll work through our weakness, that you'll strengthen us and, and help us to keep honouring Jesus, help us to keep declaring that we, we know Jesus, that we believe in Jesus, that we trust him. Um, please forgive us for the times when we play down your role in our life for the sake of fitting in with those around about us. And, and we pray that you'll help us um, to live good lives among people around us, but good lives that honour you, that testify to your goodness. And uh, Heavenly Father, we, we pray that um, you'll be with any who are struggling here at Salt uh, and that you'll strengthen us, you'll uphold us. And we ask that as, as people in our worlds, in our community, uh, come into contact with us, that they will see people who put you first and that they will be caused to wonder why and maybe their curiosity will lead to conversation. And we pray that you'll give us the words to say to lead them to Christ. Amen.